Uh, we are in a series uh, called Shaped by a Biblical Worldview. And so this is our third week we're talking together. Uh, you have an outline for you. It has um, some blanks you can fill in, things that will be on the screen, scripture uh, that will be listed for us there. Um, you know, you get these every week. Um, I, I hope you... Uh, recognize that you have things in your hand. You have scripture that you can be studying. So maybe you have other, other things you read or a reading plan that you have for your Bible, but also encourage you to think about uh, the things that we are studying together here at church. Uh, worldview helps us to realize that not everything in the world is good. Not everything in the world is happy and beautiful. In fact, we recognize that there is evil uh, in the world. I mean, you pick up any newspaper, you watch any news program, and they start going through what's happening internationally, and you can see that there's all kind of fighting and terrorism going on around the world. They get to the national news, and they'll talk about political problems and breakdowns and payoffs and scams, uh, all kind of things that happen everywhere, uh, abuse and murder and arson. Uh, you read in the business section, you see about scandal or fraud or or embezzlement, even in sports section, you see about drug use and the things that athletes do and all kinds of gambling or adultery, entertainment, uh, celebrities, all too many scandals to mention, right? Um, no rational person would look at the world around us and deny that evil, real evil exists in the world. Would you just nod your head just so we're on this, uh, you recognize that? So, in this, this idea of thinking about worldview is trying to think about seeing the world and our lives as they really are. Uh, it, not as we'd like them to be, but as they really are. So we, um, the last few weeks we've been talking about questions. Uh, that's what I even named this message. It's just questions. Uh, we've been looking at things like, um, does it really matter what I believe? And we talked about that. And we talked about uh, one of the things there was about the sincerity myth that I can believe things sincerely and yet be sincerely wrong. Uh, then we looked at uh, what, is, what is truth, and we talked about truth together the last time, ways that we can test and know uh, what the truth is and how we put our trust in that. If you miss those, you can go back. They're on our website, or if you are on our app, uh, under the media section there, you can find those uh, and watch those and the notes and all that stuff will be there. So we, uh, today we're thinking about uh, the world that we live in that is messed up. Uh, what, what happened? Uh, what happened to our world? What is God's perspective about it? Why does God allow all this stuff to happen? And then what ultimately is our response? How do we live in this world uh, that, we've, that we've been made a part of? So the, um, you know, there's, there's really a, a reason why the world is all messed up. We all have sinned, right? We have all sinned. Uh, when we sin, it brings evil into the world. Um, what is sin? One, sin is um, going against the things that we know are of God. It's having attitudes and actions that are against God. Uh, you know, we, we can talk a lot about mistakes or slip-ups, but when you know the right and you know it is right from God, and then you choose against that, either in thinking or in doing. When we do things that are against God or think things that are against God, it brings sin into the world and it creates evil. Now, where did it all get started? Well, we, we know we get, to, we get to put blame on Adam and Eve, right? 
Uh, it's not my fault. You know, we get to blame them. Back in the Garden of Eden. Um, the Bible tells us that sin came into the world because of one man, Adam, and that sin, with sin, came death. So there was no death prior to it, and it came into the world uh, with their sin. But it didn't just stop with Adam and Eve. We recognize that we are the culprits also. Uh, that there is not a single person in all the earth who is always good and has never sinned. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I don't measure up to God's standards. You don't either. I disappoint myself. I disappoint uh, others, much less living up to some standard of perfection that is really not possible for us. So sin is a universal problem, right? 100%. Every single person. Uh, that includes all of us. The Bible says in Romans 3.20, there is no one righteous, not even one, not even you, not even me. Uh, so the Bible gives us this example. The Bible says in 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if you say that you've never sinned, you're lying. Sorry. Because the fact is that we've all had attitudes and actions against God. And for all of us in this room, we know that we, it's not just one. <laughs> it's like a lot that we've had to deal with. So we, um, you, know, you might not understand it this way, but there are really three different words that the Bible uses to talk about this. Um, uh, the Bible uses words like sin and transgression and iniquity. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, the verse there, Psalm 32.5, it says, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I confessed my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave my guilt. Um, now, there's a whole sermon right there. Uh, I could spend that time talking about, you know, Romans 3.23 talks about sinfulness as falling short of the glory of God, that I, that I miss it. Transgression is, um, is like something that I realize is clearly from God, and I choose directly uh, to, to not follow that, to not do. When I know what God says not to do, and I say I'm going to do something else anyway, uh, we, we recognize that, the sin, the transgression, uh, even iniquity. Iniquity is a word that is used to talk about attitude. So it's not just the, the actions that are taken, but the attitude of your heart. It's kind of your basic disposition. You know, our basic disposition is to wander, right? To wander. The Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. So, in other words, everybody's done their own thing. God says, I want you to do this, but I say, well, I want to do that. And our tendency is to wander away from God, and that's, that's iniquity. It's our natural disposition. It's an intent of my heart. So, let's hear that verse again. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he do? You forgave my guilt. Now, another question. Uh, why, do we, why do we choose to sin? Uh, why do we choose to ignore God? Why wouldn't we just be born with this biblical, God-centered uh, way of living? Why do I choose to ignore God? Why do I sin? Uh, well, there, there's multiple answers to that. I'm going to give you three uh, that really 
uh, can help us kind of understand why our worldview is the way it is and why God has to bring about transformation there. Uh, why do we choose? Let's talk first about nature. Nature. The Bible says that because you're a human being, that you've got a human nature which you got from Adam, the first man. You inherited it, nature. You know, you, didn't ha- you, you don't have a whole lot to do with nature. You were born with it. Um, you got this natural tendency to do your own thing. Romans 8, 7 says, your sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. Meaning, in and of yourself, uh, you, you have this nature. Um, you know, it's like the little kid who doesn't want to obey his parents. I want to do my own thing. I'm not going to do what you want me. Anybody relate to what I'm talking about? You have, you have kids like that. Uh, they, they got a nature about them, don't they? Uh, they got a way about them. My own kids, you know, I um, told you stories many times about them lying or choices that they made. And I look at them like, where in the world did that come from? You know, I didn't model that. But here they are. And uh, so, uh, you know, we recognize that it's part of our nature. Uh, Jeremiah uh, says, uh, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things. What that means is that you and I have this amazing ability to lie to ourselves and to believe ourselves. Now, we, we, we do pretty good recognizing that, you know, he or she lies to me. You know, we, we, we want to hold them accountable. Well, you got to hold your own self accountable. Oh, I'm going to fall off of here. <laughs> Let's not do that again. You have to hold your own self accountable. You know, it's, it's so easy to want to cast it. You know, we, you know, that's what Adam did, right? Adam said, don't look at me. I'm blaming her. Uh, so he put the blame on her. Uh, we recognize that all of us have this nature uh, toward doing our own thing. That's why we need the Bible to tell us the truth. We don't always see the truth. Just because your heart tells you something, your heart could be lying to you. That's what the Bible teaches. Uh, have you heard many people say, well, it just feels like the right thing to do? Well, baloney on that. That's not, you know, you got to combine it with not only what you feel, but what the truth is and to understand it and to be wise and open in your own eyes. Uh, not just my heart told me to do it. So we have this nature problem, right? You know, the Bible loves to use nature language to talk about our relationship to God. You know, this is not about some rituals and coming to church or being in a Nazarene church or some other label that we get. God says things like this. When you meet Christ, you become a new creation in Christ Jesus. See, that's nature language. Some people love to teach that you can't do anything about your nature. I say read the Bible. The Bible says that I can't fix myself. But I'm not stuck with this nature. Just because I grew up in a certain way, just because I used to think certain things, doesn't mean that I'm stuck in that spot right there. We believe that Jesus Christ comes into your life and uses creation language. Just how he first created me, then he did something in my heart to bring about a new nature in me. Now, does that mean that I never sin again? That's not what the Bible teaches. It just tells me that my heart has changed in such a way that I can choose to follow Christ rather than the sinful ways of the world. 
Everybody with me on that? Just nature change. So nature is one way. There's a second thing about uh, what happens to us. Why did I choose this? First, nature. Second is nurture. Nurture. Uh, The truth is that you learn to sin because of a bunch of people around you. Don't elbow anybody right there. But, um, you know, you had some really good models of imperfection. They're called your parents, right? They're imperfect. So you pick up their imperfections. You pick up, uh, you know, you grew up in a family and you're learning, you're learning how to do things. You know, you, you learn in your house, you know, your nature says, when somebody upsets me, I'm going to get angry, right? That, that's our normal nature. But your nurture is, how do I deal with that anger? So you got people that explode. And you got people that stuff it down. And most likely, you've had to deal with all of that stuff in your life because of the models of people that you grew up with. Um, You know, people are either skunks or turtles. told you this before. Turtles, they back into their shell and they try to manipulate. Skunks stink up the place. And by the way, skunks marry turtles. That's, uh, <laughs> laugh if you want, but it's the truth. Go home and talk about it. Um, it's a fact. Um, so so where, do you, where do you get it? Uh, your nature is to automatically like, be upset. You're offended, but your nurture is how you were taught to use it. And I'm just using that as one example. You can apply that in all kind of areas of your life. Uh, you, you're a sinner by nature, but you're also a sinner by nurture. All around. Now, the, the Bible says one of, this incredible verse uh, from um, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled, he says. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company. You ever seen a kid that was, that was going to high school and doing okay, and then he got in the wrong crowd? And, and you see what happens to him? That bad company corrupts the good character. It's when you, when you hang around people that begin to nurture the wrong in you. You, you want to be in part, involved in the group. You want to belong. So I, I, I learned how to, how to deal with those things. So we got nature, and we got nurture, and then we got culture. Nature, nur- nurture, and culture. Um, culture, the Bible says, is pulling us down. It's not pulling you up. You know, nothing that happened to you in this week uh, from the culture standpoint it was, was trying to lift you up. V- very little of that goes on. Um, they are not interested in what, um, making you better, doing what's best for you. Um, you know, sin and Satan are a dominating effect in the culture, right? So we see it all around us. Uh, Romans 12 uh, says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a, see that, new person by changing the way that you think. So that's why, that's why we choose to sin. Uh, we recognize that we got this world trying to squeeze us and to make us who it wants to be. You agree with those? Nature, nurture, culture. Um, so the, the Bible says in Psalm 24, only those whose hands and hearts are pure who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God the Savior. You know, what that's talking about is not that you have to be perfect to receive God's blessing. It's just that you got you to start getting it right. you gotta, you got to allow God to clean your hands of the things you've done. you got to allow God to forgive you and to have a clean heart before Him. When you confess, God, I messed up. 
God, I blew it. You know, we believe in confession, right? You know, we, don't, we just don't pack it down and, you know, sit it over in the corner. You know, we tell God, I blew it. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I messed up in this situation because we want to maintain a clean relationship uh, with our God. So, the world's messed up. Uh, what's the result of that? Uh, what's the problem? The result is we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Everything is broken on this planet, right? Everything. Uh, everything on the planet is damaged, injured, spoiled, corrupted in some way. Uh, it wasn't like that before sin. The, the result of it of sin is that we live in a fallen world. Uh, so what's happening? The world is not perfect. Um, I mean, you can see it in all kinds of different ways. I just gave you like five quick things. Uh, you, you can see it in, um, you know, we, we have natural disasters. You know, nature is not perfect, is it? I mean, we see it all around us. Natural disa- nature doesn't act in a rational way. When people ask, well, why did that happen? Or why this, this flood or this earthquake? Uh, the answer is simple. The, the planet is broken. The planet is broken. It's fallen. It's not a perfect place. The Bible says that very clearly that it is not perfect anymore. Uh, Romans, uh, Romans 8.20, the first part of that says, Creation was condemned to lose its purpose. So if we think about perfect harmony, uh, you know, even, I mean, I just see it all the time. I, I flew in to see my mother the other day, and, you know, I flew in. I'm just a little town. You know, it's smaller than Peoria. And I, was, I thought, man, the roads are so terrible here, and the traffic is just ridiculous. I mean, every light and every, and I'm going, I just want just to get there. You know, doesn't that make, that's the way you feel a lot of times about just the world we live in. It just, if it can go wrong, it goes wrong. And that's just not Murphy's law, that's sin law, right? If it can be messed up, it'll be messed up. There are all kind of natural things around us. Uh, We see it in other ways. There are physical things, physical decay and death. Physical decay and death. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, our physical body is becoming older and weaker. You see that one this morning in the mirror? Yep, I did. You know, not only is nature not working right, my body's not working right, right? We got problems. You know, we live in this fallen, this fallen world. This, you know, a perfect planet would not need doctors. You know, I hope all the doctors go to heaven, but they won't have job security up there. You know, our earthly bodies decay. Look at the verse, um, Romans 8, 21 says, The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from decay and death. Um, so we recognize that that's, that's what's happening. It's all around us. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we die is that who wants to stay on this planet forever with all the maladies and problems that we have, Right? And nobody wants to live there forever like that. So one day, God's going to shut this place down, and he's preparing an eternity uh, for us. And even creation, it says, is realizing that that's happening. We see death happening all around us. A lot of people you know, that, that we know, we see death happening all around us. I do funerals just about every week here. It, uh, somewhere in some way all around town, um, as soon as I finish one, my phone will ring, and I got another one Tuesday. And that's just that's the world we live in, isn't it? One of these days, we will not have to deal with all that. It's a malady of sin that has affected our fallen world. Na- natural disaster, physical decay and death. Number three, emotional stress. 
Emotional stress. That's another way uh, that we can tell. I mean, why do you get stressed out? Why do you get so disappointed? Because we live in a fallen, uh, on a fallen world. Um, you live in an imperfect world where there's evil and sin that exists. And stress is a result of that. Um, you know, I, I, don't notice, I don't know if you notice this, but a lot of things that we have happen in our world don't live up to the hype. You know, we always want, well, th- this vacation... You know, and you know, most vacations are pretty good, but some of them, you know, you got, you got problems. It might even be the people you're with or whatever. You know, people, the, you know, people I notice people spend months and months, maybe longer, preparing for a wedding day. You notice that? Man, they spend a lot of money and they get all this stuff. Different. I often think if we, and I say this a lot of times too, if we spent as much time getting ready to be married as we did getting ready to have a wedding, we'd have less divorces. We don't spend enough time. I mean, I, we do premarital counseling and I work on all that. But, you know, for some people, it's kind of just like, I, I got to get to that to get to the wedding day. You know, right? if he's going to marry me, I got to spend this time with him. You know, that's not what it's about. It's about spending time together, getting ready for what it means to be married because we get all stressed out. You know, I've, weddings are great and all that, but you spend all that time and all that money and then, well, that's over. You know, so now, now we've got to move on. Um, you know, if you're a perfectionist, you have to live in a lot of disappointment, don't you? Yeah, I mean, nothing's perfect. Nothing works exactly right. I mean, our, our kids struggle, we struggle, we disappoint ourselves, and not just with our circumstances, but how we deal uh, with all those things. Romans um, 7, uh, Paul is talking about that, and he says, I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. He's talking about needing the help of God in his situations, and he's recognizing I cannot accomplish all these things on my own. Um, we, we, you see natural disasters, physical things, emotional stress. How about this? One of the things that we see that demonstrates all this is res, relational breakdown. Relational breakdown. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, it not only disconnected them from God and alienated them from God when they sinned, but it alienated them from each other. All of the marriage problems in our life, most of the family crises that I know about, are all related to one thing. Sin. Sin. Um, I want what I want. She wants what she wants. Um, and, you know, when you, when, in a marriage, you're either growing together or you're growing apart. You, together or apart. So in your marriage, if you're, you know, the, the main problem in marriage is that people need to grow up. Right? We all need to grow up. You know, the, the problems that, that I would have, if I'm honest about them, is when I'm being immature when I'm being self-centered, right? Why don't you just say amen? That would just help me, right? <laughs> right? You know I'm right. Because I'm talking about myself, and I'm also talking about you. You know, people say, well, we're just incompatible. Nope, you're just immature. You need to grow up. I mean, if you're going to be selfish, then you're going to have conflicts for the rest of your life. But if you, want, if you learn to grow together, and you give give up on this self-centered way of living, then your marriage will amazingly become better. Adam and Eve, they're the example. They had this intimacy together. The Bible says they were naked and not ashamed. 
Now, that's not a verse talking about physical or a sexual relationship. It's talking about the emotional intimacy between them. They were naked. They were not ashamed. There was, a, there was, there was a, no intimacy barrier with them. They had no bad memories of exes. They didn't have these bad memories of high school or bad lessons from their parents. I mean, just think about it. Everything was perfect for those guys. Perfect marriage. They understood each other. They didn't have any bad history. They had no sin. Perfect bodies made by God because God created them. So they had perfect bodies. Everything was great. They're in paradise. Uh, Adam looks at his wife Eve and he says, Gal, you are the one woman for me. Well, that's true. She was the only one. But he meant it. You know, it wasn't a pickup line. He really meant it. So here they are, they got perfect bodies, they got paradise, no in-laws, no children to bug them, no, I mean, nothing, it's paradise. But when they sinned, they ruined it all. Messed up the relationship. The intimacy that they had was broken. Look at the verse. The verse says, Genesis 3, 7, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Wow. Men and women have been covering themselves ever since. And I'm not talking about clothing. I'm talking about emotional intimacy. We hide. Uh, you, you notice that Adam, the, the very first thing he did uh, was try to hide uh, from God. Um, you know, People struggle with intimacy, and they deal with it in all kinds of ways. Uh, I have some friends that, you know, you start talking about anything serious, I'm going to hear a joke for sure. You know, they're going to they're tell a joke to try to break. They don't like that seriousness. They don't want to talk about, uh, you know, we, have, we all have our ways, don't we, of trying to, are we going to allow that intimacy to happen, which is scary sometimes. Or that's what happened. Adam hid. God said, why, why did you hide? He basically says, I was afraid, and I hid from you. Um, he's in, reminding us that that's what happens in our world. There's this emotional and relational breakdown. Number five, last one. Uh, this is not all, but this is another one. Spiritual discontent and darkness. See, sin leaves a hole in your heart that nothing can fill. It's a God-shaped hole in your heart. It's a vacuum in your life that nothing else can feel. I mean, you try to find fulfillment and satisfaction in other ways, in relationships, in popularity, in hobbies or sports or things you love to do, the work that you do, but no matter what you do in that one spot in your life, it's like a square peg that will not fit in that round hole. You were made for God. Lord, you have made us for yourself and we are restless until our hearts find rest in you. It's a quote. You are made by God and God uh, and for God. And until you make that connection, you can keep running and you can keep trying, but you're going to have that spiritual uh, discontent, not satisfied. So when you get disconnected from the source of life, your creator, uh, that leads to emptiness and ultimately leads to spiritual darkness. Ephesians 4 said, they refused for so long to deal with God that they lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. 
It's not a pretty picture, the world that we live in, this world around us. We see natural disasters, uh, physical decay and death, emotional stress, uh, disappointment, distance in our relationships, breakdown, and a spiritual discontent uh, and depression in the world. So how do, how, do we do, how do we deal with that? How do we respond to that? Um, sometimes we want to say, well, why God? Why would God allow all these things? Well, I'll just give you three responses to that because people ask me this all the time. Well, why, is the, why are these things happening if God is God? Don't you ask yourself that question sometimes? So in this worldview, to have the right view of how God sees things, how he wants you to see things, maybe you have to have an answer to that question. I'll give you three. Um, recognizing that God wants you to have a Jesus way of life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he said. So life, he's not talking about just physical breathing. He's talking about real life. So why is, why is all this happen? Why do we have um, all this depression and struggle that goes on around us? Number one, uh, God allows all this stuff to happen because God gives us a choice. And we'll put beside that free will. God gives us a choice. You know, he allows things to happen there so that you can make a choice. Deuteronomy uh, 3015 says, now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. You know, God made you differently than anything else in creation. You know, we're not like the animals. We're not like the trees. You know, people like to talk about that. The thing that makes you different is that you have the image of God in you and God allows you a free moral choice, a free moral choice. Animals don't have that. They just go on instinct. They, uh, but you have a conscience. Uh, you know, he, he says, I want you to choose. I want you to choose to love me. He's not going to force you. You know, I can't say that I really have love unless I have a choice in the matter. Choosing to love, uh, th then it's, it's voluntary. You know, I, it, I couldn't make Kim love me. I couldn't make her fall in love with me. I can't make somebody uh, love me. It's her choice. I can't force it. Uh, God is saying the same thing. I can't, I won't force you to love me. I'm not going to force you to be some kind of created puppet. You can believe in Jesus, the Son of God, or you can reject him. You can live in the purpose for your life, or you can live for your own purpose. I'm going to give you that choice. That's good news. That's bad news. You must be willing to live with your choices, to live with the consequences. You are free to choose to do anything you want, but there are consequences for every choice that you make. I'm free to do things. I'm free to do anything I want to do. I can, I can be faithful and righteous and honoring God, or I can go out and live in my own way. Uh, you can make those, those same choices, but whatever choices I make, I'm going to be there are consequences to deal with them. Uh, recognizing that God uh, wants us to make this choice uh, for him. Another reason. God gives us a choice, free will. Secondly, why does God allow all this stuff to happen? To show our need for Jesus, the only Savior. To show our need for Jesus, the only Savior. What am I talking about? Uh, the, wor the worse the world gets, the more you realize you need God. Amen. I mean, it's a true fact. The more messed up your life gets, the more you start realizing I'm not a very good manager of what, what happens. I mean, a lot of people that call me or talk to me, they're not coming to me and saying, Woo, everything is going great, Pastor. Most of them are saying, things are messed up. 
either somebody else or I'm, things are just not, not going well. I mean, sometimes it takes pain to get you thinking and moving toward God. He's the only Savior. He is the only Savior. We need to recognize that we need God. Maybe secretly in your, in your own self and sometime in your life, think, I don't need God. I, I can do this thing on my own. I can make it on my own. And I, I, I'm, I'm happy with, with my choices. Uh, you can say that for a while, but you will never get over the fact that you really need God. You'll have broken heart, broken body, broken dreams, broken promises, broken, broken memories. And when you come to God, God will say, I know. I, I made you that way. So you need a Savior. You need a Savior. You, you were made by God, and he desires, uh, you know, the, the, even the Christmas story. Uh, we hear that. And it says, Behold, unto you this day is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Uh, if you didn't need a Savior, God would not have sent Jesus. God would not have allowed Jesus to die. Uh, you need a Savior more than you realize. And why do you need a Savior? I could give you a thousand reasons, but the one thing is that there are a lot of things about yourself that you cannot change, and you need God to do that. I'm at good grief. If you could change it, you would have already, wouldn't you? Who wants to live with that or that? <laughs> I recognize if I'm going to change, I need God. I need God to help me. So God is saying, I'm allowing these things to happen. I'm, you're being squeezed. Things are difficult. Why? You cannot do this on your own. You need Jesus, the only Savior. Last one. Um, gives us a choice. Show us our need for Jesus. And to demonstrate God's grace. To demonstrate God's grace. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, For if, excuse me, the Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. The, rep, the context of that is Jesus coming back and rescuing us from all this. And he says, For if by the, the Lord isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. What does all that mean? It means he doesn't want people to go to hell. Uh, the reason why God puts up with all the stuff that's going on on this planet is because God is being extraordinarily patient. Who's he being patient with? You and me and all the people we love. He wants you and his family. And if you're not in his family, he's telling, he wants you to tell your friends, your family, all the people that you know uh, that you know, once the door to the ark is shut, is shut. When God shuts it, either you die or Jesus comes back. But whenever that happens, it's over. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. You have this chance while you're breathing. And he wants you to put your trust. When somebody comes to you and they say, well, I can't believe in a God or worship a God who does this or does that. Or, you know, that women are suffering and this is happening in our world around us. You know what I tell them? I don't believe in a God like that either. This God that sees all these things happening around us, you know what God is doing? He's weeping. He's broken. He's grieving over what's happening in the world. And could he wipe it all away in one moment? Sure he could. But there's some lost people that he's waiting on. What a good God. That he would tolerate all of these things that are happening while we're hurting uh, each other. 
it hurts God. So we live in this broken world filled with evil around us. So how do, how do we respond? How do we respond? I've been talking to you about uh, posture. Um, let's stand up. How do we respond uh, in a world like this? What, what, what I'm trying to get to in this message today is to help you to know that everything in your life is not going to be perfect. Get over it. Everything's not going to be perfectly right. Everything's not going to be great. Everything's not going to just work out wonderfully. But what you have to do is to realize that there is someone that lives inside of you that wants to make you right, that wants you to be able to manage all these things. He's not going to fix everything, but he's going to help you to make it through. Hallelujah. So we talked about it, right? Put your fist up. It's our posture. This was our first posture that we would recognize that this is the first response. First response is, I'm going to surrender to God's grace daily. I'll repeat these so you can write them down, so don't get worried about that. Okay. I know, y'all. So We are going to surrender to God. So we put our fist up, right? We said, I confess that too often I fight for my own will for my own way, and I'm going to confess to God that I don't want to fight against him. And remember what we did? Our response was, instead of fighting, we lifted our hands, and we said, I surrender to God. Leave them up just a minute. I surrender to God. What you have to do is not just come to church once in a while and kind of get a little, get a little shot. You surrender to God's grace every day. Amen? You, every day, you say, I'm not fighting, I'm surrendering to Jesus. I'm decided I'm going to follow his way. I'm going to allow some of his word to impact my mind and my thinking. I'm going to live differently, be married differently, raise my kids differently. I'm going to work differently. Everything about me is going to be transformed because I'm not fighting, I'm surrendered. Amen? You can put your hands down. That's the first one. The, the verse says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So that's our surrender. I'm not fighting. I'm quit fighting. I'm done with that. I surrender myself to Jesus. Second, uh, posture last week, we started out like this, remember? And we talked about that you know, even as a believer, I got this protectiveness, uh, but God said, I want, he wants us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor. Now, your neighbor is not just the same color people that are, that are around in your life. They're not the ones that do all the nice things for you. He's saying, love everyone, right? And to allow our heart to be open, he said, let's love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we reached up and grabbed hands with God, and we are united with him. Now, I know he lives in me, but it's a good picture to help me see that I'm reaching up and joining hands with God. I love God with all of my heart, and I love others, and I reached over and joined hands with somebody next to me. Love others. Don't you love that? My heart's wide open. And so the whole point is that I let love set my focus. How do I get the right, you can put your hands down, how do I get the right worldview? I have to let love guide my focus. That's got to be the way that I see things. I see things through love for God and love for other people. 
You know, the, the biggest problem in our society is that people don't love each other. They treat people as objects rather than people. You're going to hear some more about that. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Isn't it the truth, though? I mean, if you think about somebody as your daughter, it, it's hard to treat that person badly. How would you treat a woman badly if you, if you love them like your daughter? But we don't do that, do we? So he's, he's trying to get us in the right posture, that our heart is open, love for God, love for others around us. Got one more. This is the new one. We are surrendering to God's grace daily. We let love set our focus. And number three, we reject man-made solutions. We reject man-made solutions. So our posture is, you know, we can, we can reject God. So you just take your hands and do just like that. You know how you've done that before when you say, okay, I've had it, right? Don't do that. That's not me. Uh, you say, I've just had it. And your hands end up just like that, right? Not going to do it your way, God. Not going to follow your path. Uh, I'm going to, in this area of my life, whatever it is, I'm going I'm to fix it myself. I'm going to do uh, my own thing. Listen to this verse. Verse says, My people have done evil, two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Now, you know what a cistern is. A cistern is not a well. You know, when you dig a well, the, you go down deep, and you bring up water, and there's a living water flow to that well. A cistern is like there's no water around, but we'll, we'll dig this little hole in the ground. They would dig it out in the clay, and it didn't have any water coming into it. They would just put water in it. A cistern was like a storage tank. So they would put water in there, and they would have that water there, and that was their water supply. You know, you know that, don't, that doesn't work very long. You know what? The sun evaporates some of that water. Or uh, animals come along, and they... Uh, get into the water or things fly in in the dust and get and the water gets filled with bacteria and it's old and it's, you get my picture here you know many times we say I'm not doing what God wants me to do or whether you say that or whether you just live it out and you say I'm done and you make your own cistern I'm going to get water in my own way and you get sick and diseased and broken because your way is not the right way so we turn our hands up and we receive what God has for us. Isn't that so much better? Not, I'm done. Here I am, Lord. You know, we teach our kids in Kid Zone about worldview. We, do, we sing things like, um, sing this with me if you know it. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole wide world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Another next verse. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, sister. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. You believe that? That's worldview. 
That's recognizing that whatever happens to me, not this, this. Your will, your way, right now, every day. See, I'm not talking to you about what do we do in church. I'm talking about the mission of your life, the purpose of your life. Like you're every day getting up. Whatever happens to you, he's got the whole world, including you, in his hands. Trust him. Don't do it just your way. Put your trust in him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for helping us understand uh, the world that we live in um, more directly, more dramatically. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning. There's some people in this room right now that need to say yes to Jesus. Some people in this room right now that need to have um, some of their own self-centered ways broken so that their life can be better, so they can be in a right relationship with you, so that they can have a better relationship with their spouse or their children. Lord, we pray today that you would help us to not do it in our own way, but to reach out to you. We praise you together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.